you know one of the oddest things about becoming a Christian and starting to go to church? It's being expected to sing. Uh, I guess it would not be odd if you sung in other contexts, perhaps you were a member of a choir or in a band, but if you don't normally sing and you can't pitch and you can't hold a tune, standing in church surrounded by people who obviously enjoy singing and can sing is a bit uncomfortable. Uh, Initially, I took some comfort from seeing that a number of people around me, particularly men, only seemed to move their lips and mumble. But, But what is this thing about singing in church? Why is singing so important to what we do here each Sunday? That is what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, I'm not going to look at the bigger picture of God and music. That's way, the way that he has built music into his creation. Uh, that's beyond me. Uh, I'm going to keep to music in church as an integral part of what we do together. When I started to go to church when I was about 30, uh, I was not a complete novice. I had sung some hymns in assembly when I went to school in England. Years later, I was pleasantly surprised that I knew a number of the old favourites. The Lord's My Shepherd and All Things Bright and Beautiful and some uh, Christmas carols. In one school I went to in Kent, we had a dragon of a teacher called Miss Cripps. Uh, As a six-year-old, I was able to Uh, work out that she had rather more facial hair than was normal for a middle-aged English woman. It's the type of thing that six-year-olds notice. Uh, And we used to sing, O come all ye faithful, Miss Cripps is disgraceful. So I knew that one. Uh, Besides my atheism, I liked some of the music of Handel and Bach and other Christian composers. I used to go to the town hall each Christmas to hear my father and brother and my wife, Carlin, sing Handel's Messiah in the All Church's Choir. When I went back to live in England in the mid-80s, I liked going to Evensong at King's College Chapel at Cambridge uh, with my great-uncle Jack. He had survived the evacuation of Dunkirk and never spoke about it, just as we never spoke about my atheism. We just liked each other's company and the sublime singing of the choir of King's College Chapel. My father was a Christian and he knew I liked some church music. But one day he asked me if I ever thought who had inspired all the beautiful and magnificent church music that I liked so much. But in my arrogance, I didn't want to admit that there might be a God. After going to church for a while, I found my voice. I grew to love singing in church. In truth, it's often the best bit. Four good sings will usually overcome a dull sermon for me, but perhaps not a dull sermon by me. Despite regularly singing in church, my ability to pitch or hold a tune did not improve. I felt sorry for my wife, Carlin. Uh, Because while I got to hear her when we were in church together, and she's got a good voice, as you're hearing today, uh, she got to hear me. Uh, She was 
as kind as she could be, but a couple of times she said, what tune were you trying to sing? Uh, We went to Barney's uh, down the road at Broadway for 28 years. Uh, I liked the music there because in the old days we had Paul on the organ and old hymns and bands of increasing ability. Uh, When I led our Chinese church, I loved singing familiar songs in Chinese. Yesu I wo wo. Ah, sorry. Okay, you got it? Okay. Well... You may have noticed that I tend to go for the more triumphal hymns and ones that we can really belt out. I love having a good sing. And the wonderful anthemony songs that, uh, type songs that Hillsong uh, produces so well. So I'm glad since I've been here that Angie, Paul and Bob have been able to temper my exuberant taste with some more reflective or lyrical songs and hymns. Uh, Music has become an increasingly important part of my experience of church. I know some people live with music morning, noon and night, almost as if a moment without music is a moment wasted. For them, music is a fundamental aspect of their relationship with God. It enables them to experience so many things better than they do without music, food, company, exercise, nature or, or whatever. Music's important to me, particularly in church, but I also like quiet. Uh, I can't really read or write with music on, even in the background. When I go to a park, I don't want to listen to someone else's music. Uh, I love the bush and the beach and the mountains, and for me, none is enhanced by music. But church without music just doesn't make sense. I once went to the wedding of a couple who I liked and admired, and they wanted a simple wedding. So simple that they had no singing. And the new Barneys, like the old Barneys, and like this church, was made for singing. And I felt we had really missed out by not singing. I remember when the architects who designed the new Barneys asked us to rate the acoustic values uh, that uh, we had. And uh, I was part of the team that coordinated the design and building of the new church. The architects wanted us to rank what form of sound was the most important to us as a church. They expected us to say the spoken word, the Bible read, the sermon preached, the prayer prayed. They also expected us to rank band music in a high place, music from the front, well-produced, well-performed. To our surprise, a significant majority said our highest acoustic value was communal singing. We wanted to hear each other sing. Not that spoken word is unimportant, but communal singing comes first. And that requires a a relatively live space, reverberation and that type of thing. If you go to a 
concert of contemporary music, it will usually be in a dead space, one that absorbs as much sound as possible so it can be controlled through the sound system. We wanted no one to control us. We wanted our experience of church to be one where we heard each other. Not just the talented musicians up the front, but each other. It really mattered to us that we hear each other's voices praising God together. I'm thankful that we have so many talented musicians here. The solo voices of Angie, Nikki, Fiona, Julie, Carlin and the Knight Brothers carried us through COVID. But like many of you, I longed to be able to sing in church together again. I love it when Zoe turns up at morning prayer to play the piano so that we can sing. Sometimes there's only five of us here. But in the li- this live space with people who want to sing, that's all you need. There's no better way to start the day than to belt out, rejoice, the Lord is king, uh, or something like that. As God is the source of everything good, we rightly see music as a gift of God. Like so much else that is unnecessary to existence, music and song are gratuitous gifts from God, generously bestowed upon us to not, not just to help us survive, but to help us live, to, to enjoy life to the full and to show that God loves us. But music surely is the way, one of the many ways that God shows us that he loves us. Music gets mentioned over a hundred times in the Bible. The most frequent reference is a direction to the director of music at the start of many psalms, as in our psalm today. It's possible uh, that that was a direction to uh, that young maidens or sopranos chanted or sung that, uh, that psalm. It seems that since early times, the psalms were sung as part of communal worship. Unfortunately, we don't know what style of music they used. We know they had many instruments, including those listed in Daniel that we heard a few weeks ago. The horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and many others. Um, We have no recordings from those times and also no written music from those times. Uh, In fact, written music is one of the many contributions the church has made to Western culture. In the early churches, it seems that psalms and hymns were chanted. The initial form was called Roman chant. Towards the end of the first millennium, that gave way to the far more complicated Gregorian chant. Without an ability to write down music in notes, churches and choirs relied on the memory of the choirs. Perhaps the monks got tired of admonishing young choir members for not remembering the more complicated tunes So they devised the system of chart music that we use today. But don't tell secularists that. Uh, They get a bit upset when we tell them what the church has contributed to Western culture. Songs and hymns also get mentioned many times in the Bible. Both Matthew and Mark record that the disciples sang a hymn as they went with Jesus out to the Mount of Olives on the night Jesus was betrayed. Many of you will know the story of Paul and Silas encouraging each other when they were in prison by singing hymns at night. That must have been fascinating for the other people in jail and the jailers. What are these people doing? They're just 
sitting there. They're supposed to be being punished, perhaps in fear of their lives, but they're, they're singing psalms. They're singing hymns. In 1 Corinthians, Paul mentions hymns as a helpful way of church, uh, a helpful part of church gatherings, and says in his letter to the church in Colossae, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. When we sing, we're teaching and admonishing each other. And it's interesting that Paul's focus is on hymns and songs more so than on sermons. Isn't that interesting? But despite the reference to hymns in the New Testament, music proved to be quite controversial in the Reformation. As the Renaissance gathered pace, church music grew increasingly complicated and artistic. Some reformers distrusted these artistic excesses. Some, like Ulrich Zwingli, banned music in all forms. Calvin in Geneva would accept psalms chanted plainly, but not hymns. However, Luther saw the benefit of hymns and wrote a number himself, at least 37, some of which we're still singing, including A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which we'll sing after this sermon. You will notice it is based on our psalm today, Psalm 46, which is described as a song. God said he, he says he loves to hear us. Our psalms are God-given ways to talk to God and, in this case, to sing to God. Some English Puritans also distrusted hymns as Catholic folly or excess, but by the 17th century, hymns had really taken hold in the Church of England and we have the rich legacy of people like Isaac Watts and Charles Wesley and many others through the 18th, 19th and 20th centuries. I love the way that singing is both worship and expression. St Augustine said to sing is to pray twice. That's a lovely idea. We are shaped by what we do. I once did not sing. Now I sing and praise God as best I can. And that has changed me in so many ways. I love the way that a good chorus or verse can be with me all week. I know I'm going to be singing our last hymn today for the next week. And it's going to make the week ahead of me better for it. I love the thought that goes into our songs and hymns. The one reason that I like hymns so much is the way they often display a rich knowledge of scripture and, and wonderful imagery. Many present the gospel so well, so much better than preachers. I cannot express the glory of God better than this. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. In light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days. Almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. You can't beat that, can you? You're not going to get a sermon that is just, just pulls things together and engages with us so well. And nothing gets me closer to Christ crucified than this. 
when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain, I count but loss, and pour contempt on all my pride. These four verses just open me up. My, my heart is totally exposed to God and, and totally devoted to God. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Where did such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Uh, the, the ideas are just so dense, but so wonderfully knitted together. Were the whole realm of nature mine, if everything in the whole world was mine, there were an offering too small. Even if I could give God everything, it would still not express my love and devotion to him. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I've sung those words hundreds of times, but they still bring tears to my eyes. So perfect are they, an expression of God's love for us and my love for him. These are not only inspired words, but a wonderful way to express our faith and shape us for the week ahead. And songs like In Christ Alone and How Deep the Father's Love for Me do likewise. It's not a hymns verse songs. They, they're, they're all wonderful, really wonderful ways of connecting with God. Songs that are rich in theology mean that together with the creed and confession, we don't have to repeat the core of the gospel every sermon. That can get a bit boring. It's wonderful that Jesus died for us, but you don't need to hear it in every sermon. Uh, and it's so much better to confirm our trust in the gospel with our songs and hymns and then to have the time and freedom to explore the breadth of God's word in our readings and sermons. You may have noticed that uh, there has been a slight change in our music here over the last few months. We used to have the band and songs on the first, third and fifth Sundays of each month and the organ and hymns on the second and fourth that made sense when we had only a few band members. It would have been unfair to roster the same musicians on every week. We now have more musicians and three keyboard players who can accompany hymns, Paul, Bob and Zoe. So where possible, we intend to have a selection of hymns and songs every week, keeping to the same monthly balance of songs and hymns we had in the past. The main reason for this is to help newcomers. Uh, I've had a number turn up on band weeks and ask, why don't you use the organ? And others turn up on organ weeks and ask, do you only ever sing hymns? Uh, we, uh, with music, you, you can't keep everyone happy all the time, but I hope that this works both for newcomers and, and old-timers. But please let me know how you think things are going. One thing I love about uh, communal singing is that it's active, not passive. Uh, I'm not watching a performance. Uh, I'm not singing along to a performance. I'm doing something myself. I'm praising God and, and hopefully encouraging the people around me. 
Uh, I've been to some church services with 8,000 people in the auditorium, and I was hit by a wall of sound from the front. I couldn't hear myself or the people around me. So while I was singing, and there was a lot of noise, it felt really passive, as if I was a, an island in this, this noise. Uh, and it really didn't matter if I was there or not. The performance and sound would go on. I understand that during COVID, when we had solo performances, we clapped, not just as an expression of appreciation, but as a way of saying amen, as a way of participating in the worship. Now we can sing. And I know that some of our musicians are a little uncomfortable with the focus on them that comes from regular clapping, but we can still clap when the the spirit moves us. I don't want to establish any rules or anything like that, but uh, we can sing, and that's the best way of affirming Uh, that we are part of what's going on here. Uh, Song has become part of my memories of my Christian life. I remember the songs I sang when I first started going to church with Carlin in Singapore. Uh, Some sound dated now, but bring back many happy memories. I love going along to uh, uh, Christian uh, indigenous gatherings uh, monthly, uh, where Uncle Ray, who sort of is of a similar vintage to me, uh, brings out some of the songs from the 80s and the early 90s. Uh, and I love it. It just brings back so many memories. Uh, and music does that. And I find some songs really emotional. Amazing Grace takes me back to a Christian concert that I went to in Singapore when I was just exploring the idea of whether there is a God. And I remember hearing, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And thinking, with tears in my eyes, could this be me? Of course it was. I can't sing Jesus loves me without thinking of Patty. Standing down there, striding to the front to join our band to belt it out. She had a wonderful, unselfconscious faith and loved singing. One day we will join Patty in heaven. And I bet you that she'll be singing. One sublime moment happened when Carlin and I were on a short-term mission in Seychelles. We went to an Anglican church on the beautiful island of Kralan in an old colonial church. They wore robes. We had a baptism, a commissioning, a long sermon, communion, and many songs. Uh, Seychelles is on the equator, surrounded by the Indian Ocean, so it was very hot and humid, and we had no air con. But that did not stop us. When the service was finished, after over two hours, the robe-wearing priest took up a guitar and started leading all those who wanted to stay in a string of familiar songs and choruses. In French, Creole, and English. How great is our God. And we sang that in English, and then in Creole, and then in French, and then we just went round and round and round and round. And it's as if time had ceased to exist. It had stopped to be a measure 
uh, of things. And we were caught up in the emotion and sheer joy of worshipping God together. And I just didn't want it to end. It felt like heaven on earth as we lifted our voices up to God. So I join with Christians over the last 2,000 years in seeing the importance and joy of singing hymns and songs as we gather to honour our Saviour and to take our part in building his church. And let us continue to think about whether we are teaching each other and building each other up with our songs and hymns. And I'm grateful to you all because joining you here each week to sing to our Lord is one of the greatest pleasures in life. So thank you. And let's now stand and sing to our Lord.